And I want to jump in by talking about art. Uh, there's a building I've been through a handful of times in my life. It's this building right here. It's uh, not that one. That one. There we go. Uh, Michigan Avenue. Michigan Avenue in Chicago. It is the Museum of the Art Institute of Chicago. So you walk in the doors, you uh, climb up a flight of stairs to the second level, and there is the Impressionist Gallery. And there's one particular painting that seems to have this magnetic a pull to it, and it's this painting right here by uh, uh, impressionist artist named Renoir. And Renoir, along with Monet, I consider like two of the top masters of the impressionist movement. As a painting was painted in 1881. The setting is outside of Paris. The title is Two Sisters on a Terrace, and it's kind of like this outside cafe. Uh, the Seine River is kind of in the background. If you up close to it, you can kind of see a couple boats back there. Uh, the older girl, young woman, she's wearing a blue outfit. Back in the day, this was a female boating outfit. So apparently she has been down on the water, is going to be down on the water. But I think what pulls you in is the red, is the red hat. Uh, the red hat is like this cherry red, uh, the texture is like red paint layered and layered and layered on so it kind of pops out at you. And by contrast, her face is just very light brush strokes. But uh, as I walk into the Art Institute of Chicago, walk into the Impressionist Gallery, and I'm looking at this Renoir painting, I'm conscious of the fact that I am standing in front of a masterpiece. This is a masterpiece of Impressionist art. Yeah, I know, some of you would be bored to tears after minutes in an art gallery. But I know some dudes that might be bored for tears in an art gallery, but can burn an entire afternoon at a classic car show. Exploring, seeing, photographing. I would say works of art painstakingly, painstakingly restored to their original mint Condition. Make no mistake about it, that is art appreciation too. And some of you, you know, don't like oil paintings or classic cars, but your hearts are drawn to music. I mean, there's a song that captures you. You can listen to it again and again and again. And the way it's composed, the way it's performed, the way it's produced and recorded. And, and maybe it's from a new band it might be a song from an opera 200 years ago, but there is just something that pulls you in magnetically to incredible music work of art, if I may, a masterpiece of music. And I, I needed to begin our conversation there today just talking about art and appreciating art and creating art uh, because of the key verse from the Bible we're going to look at today. It's uh, found in Ephesians in your Bible, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And the word says this, it just says, we are God's, and what word does it have there? We are God's handiwork. Now, the word handiwork doesn't sound, I mean, that might be macrame, right? You know, we are God's handiwork. But the most common translation of that in various translations of the Bible is, uh, we are God's workmanship. And the New Living Translation translates it this way, we are God's masterpiece, we are God's masterpiece. And so today we get to talk about the artwork that God desires to create in you. The artwork that God desires to create in you. We are God's masterpiece. 
Now, the picture that I chose for the backdrop there, I chose that intentionally. That's a, a, a facade, the, the front of the building, uh, is the Celsus Library in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is uh, located in uh, Turkey uh, near the Aegean coastline. And um, so back in the day, Ephesus, major world city, a hub of commerce, those people understood art. And the book of Ephesians, what we call the book of Ephesians, is a letter by the Apostle Paul to people who lived there in that city. And by they knew art. I mean, as you walk down a street in Ephesus, there were statues, there were sculptures. Many of the sidewalks had intricate mosaics. Those people understood art. And that is the language that the Apostle Paul uses in writing to them when he says, listen, we, you, the Jesus community in Ephesus, are God's masterpiece, God's artwork. The letter to the Ephesians was written to people. So think here of like Greek and Roman names of the first century. Uh, Phoebe, uh, Lydia, Livia, Julia, guys with names like Demas and Titus and Marcus. These people had come to faith in Jesus. And here is a letter to them, but it's strange because part of Paul's letter to them is describing Christianity to Christians. You go, why in the world would you need to describe Christianity to somebody that's already a believer? And the answer is because we forget. We need to be reminded of some core and fundamental things that are so important, but that we can lose along the way. And so in this letter to the Ephesians, chapter 2, the Apostle Paul is describing Christianity to Christians. And it's, it's going to end up with this conversation about masterpiece. Go, oh, we are God's artwork. It's going to be such an encouraging message. doesn't start out there. It starts out really dark. It's like the Apostle Paul is saying, listen, I need you to remember where you were and what you were before God rescued you. And then I need you to remember his grace and his love and his forgiveness that invaded your life. And then, finally, I want to talk about this masterpiece that God is creating. And so, uh, who is this for today? Because this is a letter 2,000 years old. Who is this for today? See, number one, uh, in all the time at Ada Bible Church, we have people that would describe themselves as at the very front end in their faith journey. Kind of like people that go, listen, uh, I, I'm just trying to put the pieces together here. And so if that kind of describes you, I hope today is super helpful because I, I'm going to do the best and most concise job I possibly can at attempting to describe what it means to be a Christian. And so if you're like putting the pieces together, I just hope today is like super helpful in your journey. But originally this wasn't written to people exploring Jesus or trying to figure Jesus out. This was written to devoted believers. This was written to Christians to remind them of some core and critical things that get lost along the way. And so I also want to speak to those of you. Some of you have been a believer or a Christian for decades. But your faith is old. Maybe it's stale. Maybe it's stagnant. Maybe you've begun to ask the question, why am I not changing? Why am I not growing? It is my hope from these reminders today that something in you would get reignited, that something in you would get rekindled, 
In fact, uh, today's conversation and through the course of this series, I am fully confident that some of you will get reconverted. Some of you will get reconverted to the story of grace. So the kind of outline of our structure today, we're going to talk about three reminders, kind of like three things we forget along the way and three reminders that we need. Now remember, it's going to, you should remember, it's going to end with God creating you into a masterpiece. Artwork doesn't begin there. Just, I warned you, right? It's going to begin really dark. So reminder number one is just a reminder of how bad it was. Now, like uh, all, let's, uh, let's, uh, this is an all skate. I'd like you to all respond by saying five words with me, and those five words are, <clears throat> it's worse than I thought. Ready? Play along in our campuses too. Ready? It's worse than I thought. It's worse than I thought. How bad was it? It's worse than I thought. And what's going to happen here is the Apostle Paul is writing his dear friends in Ephesus like, uh, Livia and Julia and Titus and Demas. And he says, listen, never forget where you were when God found you. And so he's going to describe three things. He's going to say, look, look, you were dead spiritually, no heartbeat. You were dead, you were trapped, and you were in trouble. So here we go. Dead first, Ephesians 2, 1. Uh, he says, as for you, he's writing to Christians now. He says, as for you, remember, you were what? You were dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, this is a very important and it's very critical. Jesus did not come simply to make bad people good. Jesus did not come simply to make good people better. Jesus came to raise spiritually dead people to life. Paul's saying, I know it's dark. We've got to understand where this story started. No pulse, spiritually. Now, there's a term there. It says dead in, and then there's two words. Dead in your transgressions and sins. Now, the word transgression, uh, the idea behind that is trespasses. And so just kind of get a, in the image of your mind here, kind of like a fence with a, with a no trespassing sign on it. In fact, some of you, uh, many of you come from no religious background. Some of you come from a church background. And if you came from a church background where the Lord's Prayer or the Our Father was said uh, every week, some of you recited it like this forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. But a whole bunch of you recited it like this, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. It's the same word that's used here for trespasses. And the idea behind trespassing is there's just some space where I go to myself, listen, I don't belong there. I don't belong in there. So whenever you kind of sense in your heart a wounded feeling you feel just wounded because somebody else gets what you wanted? Like another trip to someplace warm? When somebody gets something that you wanted? You go, isn't it okay that they get that? No, it's not. Kind of, hey, I don't belong there. Where is that coming from? I don't belong in there. On one of those days when you just realize that you are bombarded by the blessings of God, I mean, if you were to sit down and make a list of the ways your life is blessed, it would take legal pads to, to make a list of all of the ways your life is blessed and let you find yourself jumping over the fence and living in the land of complaint. You go, what am I doing here? It's a trespass. It's like, you don't belong in there. Yeah, I, I know. It has to do with desire that runs off the rails. A woman desires a husband, a good thing. Woman desires her husband. And so, listen, that's out of bounds. It's desire 
running the wrong direction. I, I don't, I, my, my brain and my heart don't belong in there. It's a, it's, it's a trespass. Using our humor at somebody else's expense. I get laughs, they get diminished. I get laughs, they get reduced. Like, man, what are you doing? You don't belong in there. It's a trespass. Now, these are symptoms. These are symptoms of a heart that is not alive to God. So how bad was it? The Apostle Paul says, man, it's worse than you thought. Jesus didn't come just to make good people better. He came to give life to spiritually dead people. So number one, how bad was it? I was dead. How bad was it? Number two, I was trapped. Now this is a mouthful here because you were dead in your transgressions, trespasses, and sins in which you used to live when you followed. Now check out that next statement in which we've highlighted the ways of this world, the ways of the world. It's like there's a system that I bought into. No, not that I bought into, that I'm born into. But it goes on from there to say, the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Now, I think he's talking about there, when he's talking about, and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work, I think he's talking there about Satan. I mean, in the Bible, Satan is a real personality who does everything he can to fight against the goodness that God is about. Satan is an, like an anti-God being figure personality. And so sometimes when someone says, well, you know, I just kind of marched to the beat of my own drum, maybe I'm marching to the beat of his. But that first sentence there, that first statement, you followed the ways of this world, it's like I'm born into a system. The, the system that I'm born into is the, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you system. It's that you hate me, well, I'm going to hate you back system. It's the, my stuff is better than your stuff, and that makes me think I'm better than you system. It's the, I will be deeply committed to the truth until the truth is no longer in my best interest. And then I am capable of fabricating a large quantity of fiction system. And so it's like, how bad was it? I was a spiritually dead, trespasser, and I'm just part of this. And say, Jeff, everybody, everybody does that. Everybody's like that. I know. The point here seems to be that this is a universal problem. And by the way, if you scan the world and you go, why do people behave like they do? Why is culture so messed up? Why is society so messed up? I think these verses, I think they explain a lot about what's going on in the human heart. I was dead. I was trapped. Third one, I was in trouble. Like the rest, you were by nature deserving of, deserving of what? Wrath. You have to say it like that. Wrath. Now, the wrath of God is not a popular topic, so let's talk about it. Uh, the wrath of God. By the, way, if, by the way, if I said, hey, Jeff, when we're done with this series, what's your next series? I said, well, Aaron and I are going to spend eight weeks talking about the wrath of God. Go, oh, that's interesting, really interesting. I wonder what Brady's going to be preaching on over at Keystone. And he's kind of like... <laughs> Hey, dude, we'll see you in a couple months, you know, we'll see you in a couple months. So let's get something out of the way right at the top. We want God to be angry. 
We want God to be angry at people who hurt children. We want him to be angry. We want God to be angry at people who take advantage of old people. We want God to be angry at people who take advantage of senior citizens. We want God to be angry. We want God to be angry at people who hang up Christmas decorations before Halloween. <laughs> I just played my cards. Uh, we, want God to be, we, we want God to be angry at what angers us. But God's anger is different than my anger. See, I, I want God to be angry at what other people do. I don't want God to be angry at what I do. I want him to be upset at their crimes. I don't want him to be upset at my crimes. But God's anger is different than mine. My anger, uh, I get upset at some wrong some of the time. Now, God's anger is level. It's consistent. While I am upset with some wrong some of the time, God is upset with all wrong all of the time. And so Paul lands this thing with writing to his friends saying, listen, your heart was dead, you were trapped, and you were in trouble. Now, the thing, the wrath, we were deserving of wrath, it, it doesn't mention hell there, but I think that's part of it. I, I think the idea is that if when I die, if I, my soul stands before God, and I'm like going, hey, we're good, Right? And you guys are going, no, we are not good. And what if hell is a total separation from God? What if God is light? And what if God is life? And what if God is joy? And what if to be separated from him is to be separated from life and to be separated from light and to be separated from joy? What if it's, listen, you were separated from me in this life that never got healed and fixed and redeemed and restored. You will be separated from me in the next life and it will not be pleasant. Listen, being separated from God, if he is life and light and joy, that would be hell enough for me. Why is this loving pastor writing this? Why is he dragging them through? This is how bad it was. It's even worse than you thought. You were dead spiritually. You were trapped. You were in trouble. We sing a song called Amazing Grace. My friends, grace is only as amazing as my situation was desperate. We talk about the forgiveness of God. Jesus died so we could be forgiven of our sins. If my sins are few and far between and not that significant, why celebrate the forgiveness of God? The forgiveness of God is only as powerful and meaningful when I realize the deep trouble I was in. And we speak of the love of God and how the love of God comes into us and then empowers us to love others. This is only massive jarring and motivating in my life if I realize my desperate need for God's love. And so the reason Paul says, understand how bad it was, it was worse than you thought, is because it is only when I realize my desperate need that I realize the power 
of God's mercy, God's grace, God's love, and God's forgiveness. So from time to time, when I get really upset at the mess out there, when I get really upset at the wrongs out there, from time to time, I need to pause and say, my biggest problem isn't what's messed up out there. My biggest problem is what's messed up in here. From time to time, I need to remember that the sin most likely to be my undoing is mine. Three things we need to remember. First is how bad it was. But God did not leave us alone and Wrath does not get the final word. Second thing we need to remember is how good it was, how bad it was and how good it was. Now, if I started that thing, how bad it was, by having you say, it's worse than I thought, I want you to say these words with me, it's better than I imagined. Ready? Ready? It's better than I imagined. It's worse than I thought and better than I imagined. Now, I read to you uh, last weekend from Ephesians 2, verses 4 and 5. So if you sound, sound familiar, we touched on these last week. Uh, but, but, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive. Remember, the story is not just good people getting better. It's dead people being brought to, re- uh, to life. Made us alive with Christ, even when you were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been rescued. It is because of God's grace, his giving nature, that you have been saved. Now, what happens in these verses, it's just like this waterfall that cascades into a pool and then drops again and then drops again. He's layering these attributes of God, these characteristics of the creator, but because of his great love for us. And so there's the love of God, a God who is mercy rich, rich and rich. There's the mercy of God made us alive. It is by grace, the giving nature of God, that you have been rescued. God's uh, love, God's mercy, God's grace that you have been rescued. This is a story about the activity of God. It's worse than I thought. It's better than I imagined. When someone goes, yeah, Jeff, but time out. What about that wrath thing? Doesn't the wrath of God need to land somewhere? The answer is yes. My friends, the wrath of God landed there. When Jesus sacrifices himself, he is absorbing Every punishment that was headed my way, every punishment that was headed your way. Those powerful words, someone took my place. The wrath of God over all wrong, all the time, lands on Jesus. And last week we talked about something called the double transfer. And uh, the double transfer is such a beautiful thing because what happens is that my sin My trespasses gets transferred to Jesus. But the powerful thing we looked at last week is that Jesus' goodness gets transferred to me. It's a double transfer. My sin transferred to Jesus. Jesus' goodness transferred to me. And so we're going, whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. Jeff, you're saying that goodness is something God gives you? It's like God gives you the goodness of Jesus. And so 
when he looks at you, he doesn't see you in your imperfection. He sees you in the perfection of Christ. No, no, it, no, no, it just feels wrong. It just feels wrong. It seems to me that you would have to earn your acceptance with God. So what happens now in this chapter of Scripture is that the Apostle Paul, he repeats himself, and then he expands on the thought. And so verse ends with that word, by grace, it is by grace that you've been rescued. God's giving nature is something he gives you. It's a gift that he gives you. And then in verse 8, he repeats it and then builds on it. And so in 8, you would find these words, uh, for it is by grace that you've been rescued, saved, through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the, it is the what? Help me here. It is the gift of God. And it says not by works, so that we just didn't become self-righteous and uh, self-superior. Uh, not by work so that no one would, would boast. This, this is not about my achievement. This is about Jesus' achievement. This is not about my good works. It's about his good works. So just focus on those two terms. It is a gift of God, not by works. A gift of God, not by works, which means this. This new status that I have, this double transfer, I can't earn this because gifts have to be received. They're never earned. Gifts are received never earned. Now, as I look at you, some of you are highly dependable. Dependability, consistency. You set an alarm, get up on time, you go to work on time, you pay your bills on time, dependability. I'm telling you, it's a good way to live. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your consistency and dependability. Your dependability does not earn your status with God. Because it comes as a gift, and gifts cannot be earned. They can only be received. Uh, your dependability does not earn your... Ex he does not love you because you're dependable. It can't be earned. It's a gift. It can only be received. Uh, not only dependability, your morality. Some of you have managed to stay clear of the darker impulses of your heart, but God does not accept you because of your morality. You don't earn God's acceptance with your morality because it's a gift that is given and gifts cannot be earned, they can only be received. God does not see you as acceptable now because of your sobriety. And listen, if you're pursuing sobriety, I am so proud of you that you breaking away from patterns of the past that were going to enslave you and destroy your life and mess with the people around you. But God does not accept you because of your newfound sobriety. You don't earn God's acceptance with your sobriety because it is a gift to be received. Gifts aren't earned, they're only received. I mean, over the years, Chris and I have given away a fair amount of money, but God does not accept us because of generosity. It's a gift to be given. Gifts can only be received. They cannot be earned. It's a gift that cannot be earned. It can only be received. So what do, what do you have to do? What do I have to do? And it's, if we look at the verse again, we've highlighted a different word there. It says, it is by God's grace that you have been saved through what? And there's one word, through what? Through faith. Now, faith means to believe. Now, you're not saved by your faith. Technically, you're saved by Jesus. 
but faith is involved through faith. And so it, it, to come to Jesus it means in one way or another to say, I now believe through faith. I now believe. I now believe that he loved me. I now believe that he came down for me. I now believe that he suffered for me. I now believe that it's not my goodness. It's his goodness. It's not my achievement. It's his achievement. I, I now believe, I have come to believe that God the Father accepts me not because of my work, but because of the work of Christ who came to take my place. I have now come to believe. And uh, what really captures me and it really stirs me at a deep spot is, I mean, uh, today we uh, celebrated some baptisms here at our Cascade campus and uh, uh, at our other campuses. And, you know, I just believe that some months from now, Someone's going to find themselves in a baptismal tank. And when they're like, their little story is read, they're going to go, I was in church. I really didn't understand the love of God and the forgiveness of God and the gift that God was giving me until this weekend in the middle of February. And it was that weekend that I sat there and I said, I now believe it's his goodness and not mine. I guess what I'm saying is maybe, maybe today's your day. <laughs> Or you've been exploring and you've been searching and you've been thinking and the lights are beginning to come on and it is if you hear God calling your name. Today is the day to open your heart and let God in in a way you never have before. I have come to believe. But Jeff, I mean... Don't acts of goodness matter? Acts of kindness, acts of love, acts of sacrifice, acts of goodness, don't those count? Don't those matter? All depends. Depends on how you see them and what you're attempting to do with them, which takes us to reminder number three. Reminder number one, how bad it was. Reminder number two, how good it is. Reminder number three, the masterpiece that God is crafting in you. So this is where we started, the artwork that God is creating. And so chapter 2, verse 10, the word handiwork is used here. Uh, think masterpiece. We are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do, help me here, to do good works. That's confusing. Which God prepared in advance for you to do. He already had your work cut out for you before you said yes and opened your heart to them. We are God's masterpiece created, being recreated in Christ Jesus to do good works. You know, Jeff, I'm confused. Because the very verse before, verse 9, said not good works. And here it says for good works. Uh, in fact, just putting these side by side, uh, verse 9, not by works. Verse 10, created to do good works. I'm confused. Which is it? All right. Last weekend, we did this deal where we drew this ladder, and uh, we talked about the ladder of goodness, and the questions at the beginning uh, of our talk last weekend, I just began by saying, where do you see yourself on the ladder, and where do you think God sees you on the ladder? And so you know that, that obedient stuff, like, uh, like love your neighbor as yourself, 
or uh, like, you know, do unto others as you would have them do to you. You know, that golden rule thing that's from the mouth of, of Jesus. Jesus said, do unto others. And so that's like, you know, this life of goodness thing. And then verse 9 says it's not by works. And then verse 10 says it's for good works. And you go, which is it? Those two words, by and for not by your good works, but for good works. What it's talking about here is good works being a... We will be auctioning this off after the message today, by the way. Because we talked about God seeing you. You say, where, where do you see yourself on this ladder of goodness? And where do you think God sees you? And I say, oh, God sees me at the very top of the ladder. Because of the double transfer. My sin goes to Jesus. Jesus' goodness is like I'm clothed. I'm cloaked up in his goodness. And this stuff here is a result, not the cause of being infinitely loved, infinitely accepted, infinitely secure, and infinitely treasured. It's result, not cause. It's not by my good works, but it's for a life of good works. So it works this way. Uh, when you discover that you are infinitely loved, infinitely treasured, and infinitely secured because of the work of Christ, you'll hear Jesus whisper, hey, I got a, I got a, I got a job for you. You can go, what, what's that? He says, well, you've been forgiven, right? Yeah. Uh, I need you to forgive your sister-in-law. Why? She did something wildly inconsiderate. Yup, I need you to forgive her. Why should I cancel her debt? Because someone canceled yours. What do you call that? Artwork. <laughs> this is the masterpiece that God is crafting in you. Infinitely loved, infinitely treasured, and infinitely secured. Yes. Hey, I got a job for you. What's that? I need you to love your wife. I need you to treasure her. Why should I give up myself for her? Because I gave up myself for you. What do you call that? It's artwork. The art of giving yourself and treasuring somebody who thinks differently than you do. I pull you into a story of my grace, which is a story of my generosity, the lavish generosity of God. I got something for you. What's that? I need you to be generous with your words. I need you to be generous with your compliments. I need you to be generous with your words around the house. I need you to be generous with your words with your friend group. I need you to be generous with your words uh, at, at work because you're drawn into a story of generosity and out of the lavish generosity you've received, I desire for you to be transformed into a work of art. Because... You are infinitely loved, infinitely treasured, and infinitely secure. I got a job for you. What's that? I need you to honor a parent that like never gave you what you thought you needed from them. What do you call that? It's art. 
We are his workmanship being recreated in Christ Jesus for a life of goodness. And he had these things marked out in advance before I ever said yes when he whispered my name. This is the art that God is creating. Why do we need to be reminded of this? That it's for good works, not by good works. That works, life of goodness and kindness and love is a result and not the cause. Because, my dear friends, over time, over time, there is a gravitational pull toward a subtle shift. We start out here. Oh, my goodness, I am rescued only because of God's love and God's grace. And then God begins to change us, and we go, he loves me. I'm growing and changing. He loves me. I'm changing. He loves me. I'm becoming good. He loves me. I'm good. He loves me. I'm good. I'm good. He loves me. I'm really good, and he loves me because of my goodness. This is our gravitational pull. This, our default mode, is to receive God's grace and then become self-righteous. It happens by gravitational pull. And so it's no wonder that this pastor would write to these people, Julia, Phoebe, Livia, Titus, Marcus, Demas, and say, listen, it's worse than you thought. It's better than you imagined. And out of this comes this change, this gospel change, where God is creating new art from your life one day at a time, one day at a time. So uh, on a handful of occasions, I've been strolling down Michigan Avenue in the city of Chicago and walked up the stairs to the Art Institute, the Museum of the Art Institute of Chicago, and bumped into this uh, Renoir painting. And I, I know when I'm standing in front of the painting that I'm standing in front of a masterpiece. It's harder to remember that when I bump into you, that I am standing in front of a masterpiece. Now, understand, you are kind of a work in progress. Not quite there yet, but you are the artwork that God is crafting and molding and shaping. I need to remember, you need to remember whenever you walk through one of the atriums of one of our campuses, you are walking through an art gallery. You are walking through an art gallery of the masterpieces that God is forging and restoring and crafting. You are his masterpiece. But this really only grabs me and amazes me when I realize the whole story. I was more lost than I dared believe. And I am more loved and accepted than I dared imagine. And God is at work to reshape works of art in me, in you, in us. You, you 
are the masterpiece that God is creating. This, this is gospel change that comes from the inside out. Let me ask you to stand here at Cascade and our other campuses as well. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being here today. Gracious God, once again, we offer thanks that we have been able to gather in each other's company and to open your word and have you speak to us. I pray this very day that you would open blind eyes and soften hard hearts, that we would find ourselves, John, once again to the story of amazing grace and that we would let, allow, cooperate with this amazing grace as you change us with it. We ask this in the name of Jesus, our Lord, who came here for us. Amen. We'll see you next week.